fucking deep. I like it. Put it in deep. All right. Put it in deep. Pucks in deep. Episode 33. How about pucks in deep? It's time. Adam Lesko. A little bit of remix on the intro, and I know what dials to turn down now, let's go. That's good. I'm glad you figured that out. Very important. Do you know very, what? Very important to turn up the correct dials. I'm also turning your dial up, because you were a little quiet there. A little bit quiet. Oh, there you are. You should, uh... So, we're going to take that little breakdown part of the intro and just, like, freestyle every time now? <laughs> the only reason... Uh, for a second, I thought you recorded it. I'm like, interesting <laughs> that he decided to put his own vo- video clip or uh, audio clip in here. So, before every episode... And uh, for those new listeners, it's a Pucks in Deep podcast with Adam Lesko and Josh Coleman. Thanks for tuning in. Um, yeah, before every episode, I uh, usually the day that we record, I get home from work and uh, I'm all fucking rattled around trying to figure it out. I sit down and I find the appropriate highlight that I would like to uh, utilize for the intro. I felt it was obvious, double overtime, game seven. Absolutely. Patrick Maroon, you know, and that radio call was fantastic. I don't know if you saw the video, Lesko, of the radio uh, like the radio team in the booth when they were announcing it, it was absolutely epic. Like the guy that was on the play-by-play, and I, I, I feel terrible for forgetting his name, but um, he had like both fists down by his sides, Dude, the double pump. as he was saying it. Like he, but he wasn't really pumping. It was just him like doing the call <laughs> with his hands out, okay. and his color guy and someone else in the booth were fucking high-fiving each other, like hugging each other. And then when he was finally done, you know, they win it in overtime against the Dallas Stars. He high-fived his color guy and another guy. And I thought they would break their wrists. They high-fived so hard. You could actually hear it in the audio if you go back and listen for it. They're just, they're like above and beyond overly excited. And it was a pretty uh, epic moment. I mean, anytime you get a Game 7 of anything, it's pretty epic, and then you throw double overtime into it, and then you throw the cherry on the top, which is St. Louis-born and native Patrick Maroon scoring in double overtime in front of family and friends, and it was one heck of an event, wasn't it? I don't, man, it was incredible, and it's it's such a great story with the what the uh, St. Louis Blues have been able to accomplish, uh, you know, after being in last place in January. I mean, they're the they're one of the big stories of the playoffs for sure. And to have Patrick Maroon bury that goal, just a little hard, you know, going hard to the net, stick on the ice, just 
Thompson an easy one, right? But man, that's that's the type of goal that that fans will remember their entire lives. And I saw a few videos like from inside the crowd as well, and like you got be wicked. You got people going absolutely wild, like little kids, you know, going crazy. And that clip of his kid as well was uh, crying, wasn't he? Well, did you see what happened? I'd be crying too. He was crying because his dad scored, but I'd be crying because I fucking missed it. His kid missed it. Really? Yeah, he missed it when he was he was being interviewed. I know it's tough to interview a kid, but I mean, it was a great time to get. Well, at least he didn't say to, something like "I like turtles" yeah, or something yeah, whatever, like that. But, but like he he said that he was uh, he was reading the lineup cards specifically, and you know this is where kids say the darndest things because they always tell the truth. Don't kids always tell the yeah, truth? Oh, right? Yeah. The kids like I was looking at the lineup sheet to see where each player was from. So he was looking to see where, where they were from. What, was and he boom. bored or something? I, I, that's what I put in the prep. I said, his name is Anthony. I said, in the prep, I go, Anthony, you had four fucking periods. <laughs> and then some to figure this out. And you missed your dad's Yeah, that's unreal. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just one of those things where, like, you're at a live sporting event and you just so happen to turn your head this way to be like, yeah, that was awesome. And something fucking crazy happens and you're like, yeah, I was there for that. But you know that you didn't see it. You didn't see it. Or you were, you know, you went for a piss. You went to rock a piss or grab a pint or something and you missed something huge. In overtime in the playoffs, I wouldn't be caught dead out of my seat. No. No, of course not. And you know what, dude? The intermissions are only like, they're not even 15 minutes long. Because during the no, way, you go rock piss. They stop selling pints anyway. Right, true. I don't Which think, I don't think in the States. Really? Well, in the States, you can fucking get pints at 930 in the morning. God bless America. I know, man. They're doing <laughs> things great down there, aren't they? Yeah, because I, I was at a game. that. No, I wasn't at a game. Where was I? Anyway, I was at an event like, oh, no, it was, a, it was Blue Jays. Sorry. And uh, we went to a game that was like one of the longest games ever. I think it ended at like 17 innings or something crazy Ooh, like that. And tough. me and the boys left because it was, we were at a bachelor party. So it was like, we had shit to do. So I think we left at like, you know, the 11th or the 12th or something like that. <laughs> I remember seeing people walking down the street and they're like, oh, they, uh, uh, still playing. Like we just left, you know, <laughs> still playing. This is like, we're already going out to dinner or whatever. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, so it, we, that was part of the reason why we left. Because we went down to buy some pints and you couldn't, they're like, no, we still cut you off at the same time just because it's gone extras. They won't sell you pints. Yeah, so, that's dumb. Well, and we're at a bachelor party. Like, we're in Toronto to drink. Yeah. You know, like. And we I mean, were, I guess you got your money's worth. It's time to go. I guess so, yeah. And it was it was a boring game. I was going to say, would it not get kind of boring at that oh, point? Oh, it was super boring. It was already a boring game to begin with. Most Jays games now are boring. Oh, my God. They can't hit a fucking ball. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even want to talk about them. But it was really exciting. Vladdy came up for a little bit, and then it's like, well, he's not doing anything. So. He didn't do anything, and then they yeah. sent him back. Like, what, are the, what is that whole situation anyway? They're just going to keep fucking around with that guy? Are they going to ruin, ruin know, his development? Man. Like, that's weird. I sure hope not anyway. They got too much young talent to dick around. But. He's like the Jesse Pugliarvi of the Toronto Blue Jays. No, well, maybe. <laughs> I thought uh, I thought the Raptors, though, really, uh, really showing something, giving us Toronto guys toronto sports fan guys something to cheer about though. yeah game six tonight right yeah they can close it out tonight against uh the 76ers and man if smoked them last game oh man i i i did i tried to tune in and i i was a little late tuning in, as i am with basketball games because i feel like the later you tune in oh, the better really 100%, because yeah. but this game was decided early yeah like Kawhi and the boys just just got it done like they when i, I think when i tried to watch it was 
I mean, they were leading by like 20 points, I want to say. Yeah, it was And huge. that was just after the sec- or the halftime, I believe. Uh, throughout the first quarter, it remained close, I believe. Because I had it, like I had the hockey game on, like obviously I'm going to have uh, fucking game seven on uh, the big screen. So I had it on the big screen and then I had the, the uh, Raptors game on my uh, on my phone. So throughout the first quarter I noticed that it was pretty close, a couple points, and I was like, well this could be fun. Like I mean obviously I I I don't really care about basketball. I've told you this before. I mean, sure I want the Raptors to win. Why the fuck wouldn't I? Like they're the only Canadian team and they're in Toronto. So I guess you're right, the Toronto sports scene, et cetera, et cetera. So it's cool. But at the end of the day, if they don't win, I don't like I literally don't care at all if they don't win. So I guess I'm a terrible fan, but yeah, I want to see them do well. And yeah, I would go down there and take in a game if I, if I lived there or if they weren't like too crazy, if I had the money, cause I know it's exciting. Oh yeah. I've heard and it's awesome. Speaking of which I wanted to ask you, what do you, who do you think does it better down there? Do you think Jurassic park is better down there during a, uh, during a Raptors game or is Maple Leaf square uh, a little bit better when there's a leaf playoff game going on? I thought it looked for some reason, I thought it looked more packed at the Leafs game, but I think there's a certain number of people they let in there, period. So oh, yeah. I'm not sure if that's actually accurate. It's just the way it looked because it was colder and people were wearing more gear. Uh, but, that's uh, actually a good point. It's different yeah, atmosphere, it's though. Like They put on a different show, the whole oh, yeah. thing, like from start to finish. like All the pregame shit and stuff they do is all, all different because they're catering to a bit of a different audience with, See, with basketball. That's right? what makes me lean towards... Um, Jurassic Park as being the more like fun electric kind of atmosphere and it kind of brings me back to what I was bitching about last week on this in this very spot when I was talking about American fans and Canadian fans it's kind of the same idea everyone packs into Maple Leaf Square but they're all fucking so nervous they can't get over it oh my god (laughs) you know and then they they open it up for Jurassic Park and everybody's just everybody's coming in because you're bringing in so many more cultures that are like fun fun to watch basketball I want to watch basketball i want to watch all these guys from all over the world play basketball you know with hockey it's it's kind of specific right like we want to grow the game internationally but the only thing we really do well internationally let's go is take the best players from their respective countries and bring them (laughs) over to north america and they play in the nhl outside of that our fan base isn't really stretched out to russia you know what i mean yeah they like hockey they like when the russians play but they're not fans of the nhl Whereas the NBA, you're getting fans of the NBA that are living on all continents. I think it's a lot different this year and just in recent years with the Raptors as well because they've been good for quite a while now. So yeah. when you're good for a while, you, you really build up that fan base. You know, you get you bring in a lot more fans. You bring in young fans, right? I mean, that's really what your target demographic is. You're trying to grow fans for life, right? So... And I think with with Kawhi coming over this year too, I mean, there's so much buzz around that, and they rarely have had a guy who can be considered legit like top five player in the league. Um, I, I love the way he's he's responding, the way that guy conducts himself. I think I've mentioned that before on the show. Just yeah, consummate he's not, pro. You know, it's the Raptors won last night or two nights ago, and there was none of that hot dog and bullshit that you know dancing around like Embiid and those guys were pulling. Yeah. Uh, the game before when, when you know, admittedly, Philly smoked them. I doubt another one. I tuned in a little late, and it was the game was already <laughs> was over. over. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but uh, I loved how the Raptors, you know, handled themselves with class, um, despite what Drake and some other fans were doing there to 
to taunt Embiid after they had a solid lead. Yeah, I mean that's part of the the shtick, isn't it? Though of basketball has always been like that like to a certain Spike degree, Lee and that, that's why a guy like um, that's why a guy like Quiet really stands out to me, just because he seems to conduct himself much differently. You know, the guy's like so stoic. He's so qu- he's very quiet and just modest. You know what I mean? He's like the mixture of Sidney Crosby and Jordan. Bennington. He reminds me of Austin Matthews a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, Except true, Ma- yeah. Matthews might argue has the more like flair. You yeah, know what I mean? Like flair. he's the he uh yeah, he's a little bit different in that sense. Um, it's not done no new balance deal, but <laughs> speaking of flair, uh do you uh want to know the uh status of the haunted the hauntedness of this house that we're yeah, in? Yeah, dude, so what happened that night? So we conjured up the spirits last week on the show because you did. I'm, oh, I mentioned you are. 100%. I, I, I mentioned about the haunted nature of this house. Or, I rolled with it because I mean, of course, that's the first thing that I would think about as well. You know, and it generated a conversation. And I don't know whether that conversation, like you said, conjured something of the paranormal nature or not. But I'm telling you, that was my first official night in the house and at I don't even know what time it was like 11 o'clock I want to say I was on the phone with my fiance and we were just wrapping it up we were just saying good night she's like I gotta get to bed I gotta get up early I'm like yeah yeah whatever good night love you bye yeah yeah whatever (laughs) yeah right at the very end just just as we were about to hang up I'm telling you dude it was like someone threw a like a, a rubbermaid full of children's toys off the roof of the house and it landed directly in the kitchen underneath me and I freaked out I was like, holy fuck. And she, you know, Kirstie's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I think Bentley just knocked something down in the kitchen. Of course, we have the cat. We have a shit ton of boxes. I figure, and he likes boxes, as all cats do. I thought for sure that he may have, you know, gotten into something and might be hurt. When I ran down the fucking stairs, he's sitting in the middle of the floor, nothing around him, looking at me like, what was that? And I'm looking at him like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> What'd you see, cat? What'd you fucking see? And I walked around the kitchen. And I walked through, I went to the bathroom, the other side, there was, nothing was out of place. Not a single fucking dust bunny was out of place. Everything was as is. And I'm, I'm on the phone and she's like, what was it? And I said, I don't know. And she's like, what do you mean you don't know? You said it was the loudest thing ever. I said, I don't know. I, nothing's out of place here. She's like, well, it was probably just the, you know, the shifting of the house or the duct work. And I get all that. And that's probably exactly what it was. That's what you even well, said. Well, too. I figured there's so much crap here right now. Yeah. Like it's something just, you might not have noticed if something had fallen or anything just because of how much shit's lying around. Yeah. True. True. But, but I don't know. I haven't heard anything since, but I'm that I heard that and it was, and it was totally fucked up and I don't know what to think about it. And here's another thing that I don't even really want to go off on this too much, but this happened just, just 20 minutes before you came here. I was trying to figure out the the volumes, trying to get the volumes really right. And I think I've done a, a pretty good job. We'll find out after we listen to the episode or if we hear any shit from anybody. But as I had my headphones on, dude, and I was like fucking around with the dials, there was, there was, there was really, really faint voices. Like something was talking. And I was like, I was like, something's on. It, my phone must be on. Or the computer must be, you know, play play back some weird stuff, and 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 there was nothing. There was nothing playing, and I put the headphones back on, 
and I, you know how you try really hard. How how do you try hard to listen? But you know what it's like when you're really, yeah, yeah. you're really trying like to fuck. You're leaning in, and you're you're not even breathing because you're trying to fucking be like, what is that I hear? And I couldn't, I couldn't make out any words. I couldn't make out any words at all. But so you just, thought you were hearing some. It just voices. sounded like like muffled conversation. It sounded like just random conversation. And I was like, am I am I accidentally playing? an old episode of the podcast. I checked my phone. I even unplugged it. And then I, for like two minutes, I just sat there in silence (laughs) with the microphones on. And then I was thinking to myself, Oh my God, this is how they fucking, this is how they record things on that show. That stupid ghost show. That stupid ghost show. (laughs) That's how they record things. They go in with the microphone and they don't talk. They just, they just leave, you know? And I was like, maybe I'm fucking recording some super old school haunted ass conversation jesus man you really you really got yourself into it now <laughs> i don't even care i know now like if me. you're already at the point of hearing voices it's either it's super haunted because you're hearing voices or you've driven yourself that mad after one week that true you're, true you're it's definitely shit. not the latter though because i told you i don't care i if there if it is haunted i'm i'm openly saying to all the spirits in the home <laughs> that i would like to see you <laughs> You want to see them? Why are you asking to see them? No, I mean I don't necessarily. I don't. <laughs> now wanna, you're inviting it. No, no I don't want to like see some fucking dead person. I don't want to. I'm just saying. I think if it's a. So you're saying your hope is a sexy ghost. <laughs> well, that would be unreal. That would oh, be unreal. Man. But realistically, dude, we haven't heard anyone in in the history of time be killed, maimed, injured, or otherwise touched by a fucking spirit. So I'm not concerned about it. <laughs> I'm not because you can't touch me. You put a lot of thought into this. This is good. Well, I was pretty fucked up that first night. Well, I would be too, man. Especially, especially being alone. Like, New house alone, yeah, with um, a fucking lazy ass cat there. That's why I got a goddamn dog. Yeah, he's probably well. He, now, see, now you're getting a dog, so that's what you need. Because I'm pretty sure dogs and ghosts don't get along. Like, getting that's a, a dog. real thing. And even if the dog is afraid of it, we can be afraid of it together. I guess. That's all I need is a fucking companion, and the cat ain't doing it for me. No, man. He's he's looking out for number one, man. He'll just he'll just dip. So uh, when I when cat I, doesn't need you. Fuck the cat. When <laughs> I mentioned uh, the dog, uh, did you see the the names that I was considering? Yeah, yeah. You were you were posting about that, eh? Yeah, I had leaf related names. All leaf related. I names. thought for sure it was going to be a leaf name, and I was really hovering around Freddy. I thought Freddy was a great name because you can be like, you know, come here, Freddy, or like Fred. You know, you can call him Fred, and it's good because then there's the or leafs. Frederick. Frederick, yeah. Also, Freddie Mercury, Queen. Big Queen guy. I like Queen. Yeah. So I like, you know, Freddie Mercury was a pretty iconic superstar, rock star. But like, yeah, Freddie, Austin, Mitchie. <laughs> Mitchie was kind of cute, but I we haven't signed him yet. So yeah, you don't want to risk it. Can't go there. I think it's going to be Archie. You need someone who gets signed. Like you, you hope that, uh, that Myra gets signed for like a max deal because then could be like most of the life of the dog. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. But I think it's going to be Archie because I was a big Archie comics guy. You probably remember seeing a ton of Archie comics at my fucking house oh, yeah. when you'd come over. <laughs> so Archie. And then I figured in a couple of years, we get him a buddy and we call him Jughead. <laughs> and we got Archie and Jughead. Two that's be- that's two, interesting. Two best buds. Archie, eh? So, so you and the Royal Baby then? I know. Fuck off with the Royal Baby. We had Archie already on the books. Bef- already picked it. Before the- So they copied Well, I you. mean, like, technically speaking, we haven't actually chosen it yet because it's probably Archie, but we're going to have him come into the home and fucking run around and get into all kinds of shit like a little puppy will, and we'll test the names, try a couple here and there over a, over a couple days, and then and then stick with one. But, like, 
I don't know. I think Archie's going to be the winner. Yeah, well, nobody cares about the royal family anyway. <laughs> Why is it still a thing? Why is that a thing? Why is that a thing for it's like the whole world? It's celebrity culture, man. It's the same reason people give a shit about where Kim Kardashian does win her spare time, right? Yeah, true. Good point. I'd rather know about the royal family than Kim Kardashian, for what it's worth, if I had to choose. You'd rather know about them? Yeah. Like if you had to, if there was like a four-hour special... I'd probably choose royal. They're not family. very interesting people, that's for sure. They don't Who, royal family. Yeah, they don't. Well, I mean, I guess in a certain degree because they're getting a sick ride, just floating around the world doing whatever the fuck they want. Someone posted on Facebook. They were like, uh, "Looks like baby, uh, uh, fucking whatever his name, Archie is is really crushing it, seeing as how he's already a prince." And blah, blah, blah. They listed all these things. Yeah, he's crushing it all right. Yeah, he's doing real well. And then someone like snarkily responded like, oh, except for the fact that he has to, he's being forced to join the military. What a terrible life that is, you know? And then like. Not if you're fucking royalty. (laughs) I know. Like you're obvious that someone responded underneath that person with the perfect answer, which was like, you know, relax, Sally. He can fucking be in a non-combat role he doesn't have to be on the front line getting a fucking harpoon to the chest both those dudes like just cruised around in airplanes and like had a good time like i think Uh, one of them served in iraq or something like that but he was just oh really i'm pretty sure he was he was far away from anything crazy like a journalist anyway like a journalist (laughs) the guy running around with camera photographer he's unloading planes or something like that. dude that's so fucked about way back in wars when they actually had photographers that's fucked up like I, I, I believe that like I would love to go back in time and just be, you know, a fly or a bird and watch the photographer run the fuck around on the battlefield yeah, with a camera and don't, not get shot. Don't shoot that guy. I'm don't sure they got that shot. Surely they got shot. Like you're just there taking fucking pictures. Some guy's just stabbing some guy and you're like, oh, that's great. It's a little bit more to the left. I want to get it. I want to get the sun in that. So we're way the fuck off the rails now. Who cares? Talking about war. Who cares? Leafs are out. Who cares? Yeah, Leafs are out. Who cares? We got a fucking podcast. We don't have to talk about hockey. We can talk about whatever the fuck we want. Fucking whatever you want. Podcast. Well, good for us. So uh, McAvoy got suspended off uh, popping Buddy in the face. Yeah, I thought it was perfect. It was pretty adequate. Now, what I don't like though is how they went from a major down to a minor. Don't like it. Yeah, why was that? I don't like, know. Was there any rational explanation offered for that? Like, I didn't catch much of the post-game reaction. I didn't hear... See, because we are hearing a lot of league response now, eh? Well, they seem to be pretty active in the playoffs of correcting uh, the record or kind or of... issuing a statement. Yeah, yeah. For the record, we want this to be known. Let the record show that, you know, three days after the incident, we have agreed that it was... A wrong call or whatever so that's good i think that's good transparency is always good but yeah as far as reducing it from a major to a minor on the play josh anderson right to the face yeah it was bad i thought it was bad live it was pretty bad and, and i think they gave mcavoy the benefit of the doubt a little bit i mean he's he's not he doesn't have a bad reputation or anything well, fuck, he he's been in the league five yeah, minutes yeah he hasn't been in the league very long either but he i mean it was it was deserved for sure he yeah caught, he caught him and and you know it is what it is so i think maybe the one game suspension is almost in lieu of the fact that they didn't eject him from the game at the time so okay they were going to eject you from the game which was going to be good enough but then they didn't 
So now we're so gonna, now they felt so now we're going to eject you from to the almost game. compensate for the fact that it he was should have been ejected. kind of the wrong call. Yeah, it's it's strange. Like I I never I'd never really seen that, and it's funny because I was thinking about this in terms of uh, like offside reviews and goaltender interference reviews. Is that like I don't even try and like guess what they're going to call or like say like oh it should be this or should be that. Yeah, because I almost, honestly feel like I don't know. I've been watching this game my entire life, and I'm I can't say with confidence. You know, on plays like, and I'm a hardcore fan, so I can imagine how confused a casual fan would get in these sorts of situations. If you can dial yourself back, can you recall at all the way you felt about suspensions when Shanahan was running it? Because I personally remember feeling that the suspensions might not have been as impactful as I thought they would, but at least they were relatively consistent. Well, they started doing it again. Like, they're, I shouldn't even say again. Like, it seemed when Shani was in player safety is when they started actually giving a fuck and suspending people at all. Yeah. Because before yeah. it was like, you had to do something really egregious oh, to yeah. get suspended. You had to and it was like, someone. no, we're going to start cracking down on the, some of the crazy shit that happens, you know, behind the play and whatnot. Um, so, at least in this case, I, I figured they got it right, but... Year to year, especially, and especially with the, how much the league is evolving over the past several years, um, the consistency thing is going to be hard to achieve because they're still trying to find out where that sweet spot is for suspensions. Yeah. Because they really haven't been doing it very long where they suspend people. I mean, the frequency of suspensions is much higher than it's ever been because they're starting to penalize people accordingly for, for things that are just considered unacceptable now. But you see, on that on that specific play, and if you haven't seen it, just look it up on fucking Twitter or something uh, after the show or during the show and then come back. It's a podcast. You can pause it. It's great. The reason why I really like it, Lesko, is because that is the definition of the hit that we don't actually need. That hit can still be made. That hit is easily made with no suspension or even possible injury other than the fact that maybe you might hit Josh Anderson so hard that he flies into the boards and breaks his clavicle. You might get a boarding penalty. But what I'm getting at is he doesn't need to go up. He does not need at all to elevate. No, and and a lot of time in that instance when you're cutting in front of a guy like that um, and say you misread the hit, you're always trying to extend yourself to make some contact and in those situations, it often does become the head because of the you know the position that the yeah, yeah. other player is in, where you're you hunched know, your over, knees are bent, you're hunched over. Like that's just kind of the general stance of a. Well, what I'm saying is, instead of going up and through his head, you could just extend your arms and 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 almost give him a not a shove because you you want to actually impact the player. But you know, some guys do it really well. Lesko, I wish I could think of some guys, but I can't off the top of my head. Guys that. They don't necessarily just hit with their body. They hit with their body and their arms. Like they will, they will hit push you. It's right. almost like a hit and a push. And like then follow through on the yeah. hit. Yeah. So like that's what McAvoy needs to do there. Just hit with a with a shove, follow through into the boards, and you might get a boarding penalty yeah. because it was a little dangerous. But he was already committed to trying to level him for sure. You could tell by his positioning and the way he came in. He was ready to level him. And he just he just basically misread it. Like yeah, he did not true. He did not time it correctly. And unfortunately, when you're cutting in front of a guy like that and you are there too early, that's what's going to happen. But this suspension is going to reduce the likelihood that you mistimed your hit. And, I suppose. But those are ones, somebody. those are hits that still happen pretty frequently. And yeah, there were guys who did it pur- purposely. I'm going to fight the shit out of this word. 
purposefully. Nice. Uh, at one time, you know, Matt Cook and the likes. Yeah. But uh, there's not many guys doing those hits on purpose anymore because True. they've become, you know, so well, obviously suspendable and just, you know, it's it's one of the dirtiest plays you can do. Those those blindside head hits, right? I just want to I just want to see the elevation get get out. I don't need to see that elevation yeah. shit because you know what? Let's go. You and I are not big guys at all, but we've we've laid out some pretty nice hits in our day. And I never, even me being a smaller player, generally speaking, I never had to like jump at guys. Now that doesn't mean I didn't jump at guys. I jumped at some guys, but there were hits where like I was just moving faster and I knew I was in a better position than the other guy, and I just skated almost through him. Yeah, and he was bigger than me, but he was off balance, et cetera, et cetera, head down. Same same thing with McAvoy and Anderson. You don't have to fucking take that guy out of the series. You just paste him at center ice with your shoulder, yeah. and everything's fine. He might even fucking get in. That's the difference out. in the playoffs, too, though. Like, and I've always said it. It's the case. Maybe not as much as it once was, but guys are hitting hurt, man. They're hitting yeah. hurt out there. Yeah, like you, are. I mean, you don't wish ill on players, but if you perform a legal play on the ice and the result is an injury, you're not. You know, it, it, I'm, I'm now I'm saying a minor injury, like not something devastating, but you yeah, lay yeah. a hit and the guy's a little banged up from it. That's part of the intention in that play. Yeah, it's true. It's funny. My fiance even said to me, uh, whatever series it was, they were shaking hands after. And, you know, you see in the lineup, in the shaking hands lineup there, like there's some pretty intense nice moments between players. Like they're laughing. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd be so fucking pissed right now. I'd be so pissed right now. I would do the handshake, but it would just be stoic. Yeah, good they, job. Good they job. often good are, job. but they just grin and bear it, right? No, now. but I've seen, like, there's a, I mean, a couple times you might see some former teammates or well, look some how good pissed, buddies. Uh, Kucherov was, man, at Panarin when he tried to, like, th- like he had, he had the hand up, hand up, and he, he didn't even want to, like, he was like, what the hell are you doing right yeah, now, what are you bud? doing? Yeah. It, it reminded me of, like, Trailer Park Boys there. Like, <laughs> hands down, boys. Because <laughs> he was just holding it up, like, oh, yeah. And you tell Kudra was not yeah. having any of it. But that was that was leading me to my point, was when you see some of those genuine um, embraces between players where they actually spend, you know, three or four or five seconds talking quickly, you know, congratulations, good luck, go win that fucking thing, you know, whatever it is. It's very sincere. And uh, what Kirsty says to me, she's like, these guys were just like fighting each other and slashing each other and like punching each other in the face five minutes ago. And now they're like, hey, man, like, have a great summer. Like, yeah, fuck you. Like, I wish we could have won, you know, like, good luck. That's one of the unique <laughs> things about hockey culture, for sure. Leave it on the ice. Yeah. I know some guys that don't, as I'm sure uh, you I do. mean, there's lots of people who don't. And, and there's guys in the league as well. They, you know, they legitimately hate people and, you know. Or hate go on hating people their entire careers, yeah, and then sit down for a beer at some point after their careers, and you know, you got a lot more in common than you think, right? I don't think uh, Drew Doughty and and uh, Brady or no Matthew Kachuk are going to be sitting down for beers anytime soon. Not anytime soon. Doughty hates that. Guy. Yeah, Doughty seems like a guy who'd be really set in his ways he too. Like he, he puts you on a list, and that's it. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> Kachuk is like yes. Yeah, exactly what I wanted. So uh, I guess staying over on the West Coast there, what did you think of uh, Game 7 last night? Because that had a little bit of controversy in our favorite way, the old uh, video review, couple centimeters offside. Yeah, But there was a few different elements to this one. Yeah, I wanted to get to that uh, right off the top when we started talking about the series because I wanted to see what you what you thought. I'll, I'll go ahead and give you my take. 
Um, so for those of you that didn't see it, it was it was the second period. So the second period has the long change, which means your bench has maybe, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 feet of the bench are inside the zone. So, you know, you might have a situation where you're going off on a line change, but you're still in the zone. Yeah, the door is like maybe a foot away from the blue line. Yeah, and then the bench extends down a little bit further. So Gabe Landeskog uh, coming back from the offensive zone. And let's let, let me disclaim this too. It was pretty clear that that puck should not have stayed in the zone. That puck was coming out of the zone. It was like it was San Jose's fault for letting that stay inside the <laughs> zone. So as far as Landeskog is concerned, he sees, oh, fuck, the puck's going back up the ice. I'll change at this end and let the guy at the other end get you know back in the play defensively. Well, it got turned around, but the puck went outside the zone. So Landeskog is trapped in the zone. And I mean, let's go. How close did he come? From? How close did he come from his skate actually touching the blue line there when he actually went to go off? When he went to go off, yeah. And the funny thing was he was, and and it's a big fuck up by him because he's it completely is. unaware of the play going on. And he not only that, but he completely dogs it going off the ice. He well, coasts, no one opened the door for him. He, yeah, he goes to the gate and then he's standing there. And you know, had he been off the ice, it would have been fine, like in, in a regular fashion. Or had he, he been standing, standing on the there. blue line? Yeah, yeah, and he's standing right because a he's not getting on the bench as fast as you normally would, and b he's not paying attention to the play, so he's not realizing he's offside at all. And people are kind of saying, like, and even still, it was still the tiniest; it was inches, right? I know, I know. And it's like again, he was not so, not something anybody's going to catch. And again, we have a goal turned back from a fucking from a fucking review. The, the I mean, word, it's not. It, it, I mean, it was pretty huge. Like it was a bit of a turning point in the game. Oh my god, San it was Jose, tie game. San Jose uh, scored shortly thereafter as well to make it three. But I mean, it was early in the game, and and like I said, I do fault Landeskog unfortunately a little bit on this one. Oh, I fault him more than a little bit for myself, and the only reason why I'm saying that is because I can harken back to even men's league recently. Like I don't really play in like official leagues anymore but just a couple of years ago i did i still would have been fine had that been missed though like i wouldn't have been crying for fucking offside reviews no me neither but like what i'm getting at for landeskog is all you got to do is fucking hit the blue man and you know that you know the fucking rule you know the offside rule you why would you even keep both feet in the zone you're you're literally one and a half inches away from the actual blue line. It's not like the fucking blue line is around the corner and you have to walk to it. Yeah. It's right there. So why not just actually stand on it? Just move your skate over and touch it. And I'm sure he would have had he been paying attention to the play. I know, but why not? The point is, I don't even care, Lesko, if he yeah. doesn't look at it. But his instinct, his hockey instinct should be, I am currently in the offensive zone. I'm going off on a line change. No one is opening the door. Oh, look, the blue line. Perhaps I'll put my skate on that just to make sure that I'm on side. It needs to be a, a mental yeah. process for him. I it guess he's not be. thinking of it either because he's like, somebody opened the fucking door. Like he's yeah. probably best off at yeah. the moment, I, right? I, I don't disagree, but at some point throughout the course of those thoughts, one of those thoughts needs to be blue line. Yeah. It has to be. You're in the offensive zone. You're trapped in there. And I just said I just said before that I'm letting him off the hook a little bit because it was pretty evident that the puck was coming out of the zone. That's why he didn't give a rat's ass. But you have to you have to factor in any sort of crazy variables off the off the official turnover, something, anything. 
and you're caught off. Yeah, side. for sure. Like shouldn't be caught snoozing, especially not in a game seven playoff game. But uh, I mean, some other uh, really big moments in that game. I think really the story for me was uh, Joe Pavelski making his return and scoring the first goal of the game so and up with a goal and assist, man. And his celly was just epic and classic feeling it. And it just that building was so lit up too. Again, just nice to see uh, see the fans having such a good time and. Um, as disappointed as I am to see McKinnon getting eliminated from the playoffs and not yeah. being able to watch him play anymore, uh, I'm pretty uh, stoked at the opportunity that you know Joe Thornton's still in it. And yeah, yeah, he might go back home to Boston. Well, that would be that would be fantastic. As well, it? although I, I I'm obviously pulling for the Canes here to continue the Cinderella story. Right, but if Thornton goes back to Boston, that's a pretty cool scenario because way back when when he was traded. It was basically assumed. Well, we'll never really see them unless it's the Cup final, yes, and that's, that's never true. and that's never been the Cup yeah. final. So Joe Thornton has never. I mean, obviously he's played Boston in the regular season, but I mean, imagine the Stanley Cup final as a chance to, you know, there'd be some Joe Thornton jerseys. I bet you. You think so? In that building, not maybe not for the playoffs, but I bet you throughout the regular season when they're playing fucking Toronto or any other team, there's probably a couple of Joe Thorntons walking around. Like he's a big draft for them. Ninety seven. I know the Leafs have made some bad bad trades in the past, but oh, fuck, could you imagine a trade Joe Thornton? That's like it's like twenty years of being like, ah shit, we yeah, had that guy. I know it's a yeah, long especially because they got fuck all for him, yeah. right? Uh speaking of the Pavelski goal, by the way, I wanted to ask you Am I the only one that thought it was kind of strange or I was surprised to say the least that after Pavelski scored, everyone's fucking hitting him on the head. Did you notice it, dude? He's got eight staples in his yeah. head, and he scores, and Burns was the first guy over there, and Burns was, like, just giving him the fucking raps on the head, man. And I'm like, bro, take it easy. What's like, that? this guy. What are they doing on purpose, even? Like, this guy just got back on the ice after a devastating head injury, and you're like, yeah, good fucking job, guy, right on his head. I'm like, man, I don't know about that. But he didn't really seem to be, uh, he didn't really seem to care, so I thought that was kind of strange. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good moment for him, like I said, and uh, I mean he's going to be a big part of their success if they're going to carry on. Um, I got I got to think that you know them in Boston probably are the favorites to come out of the the West and the East right now. Uh, you know, given the matchups and the depth and experience of those teams, um, but you definitely got to you definitely got to pull for either team in the West. I think I am right now just because neither team has won a Stanley Cup before. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, which is, you know, I, I love the Carolina story as much as the next guy, but Cinderella there, let her go to the dance, but that's it. Turn into a pumpkin. (laughs) However that phrase goes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I get it quickly before we totally butchered it quickly before we move on. I, um, I had it in the prep yesterday, but you blew us up for soccer practice. Yeah, soccer's coming around. Yeah, but it's a good call because I would have blown it off for baseball practice if I had one. But um, I wanted to talk about Kale McCarr, but now I don't really want to talk about Kale McCarr. I want to talk about the Avalanche just quickly as as a whole. Where are the Avalanche going, and how excited are you as an Avalanche fan if you are one? And I know that we have at least one hardcore Avalanche fan that tunes in a lot. How excited can they be? With Kale McCarr coming in and looking like he has been in the fucking league for 12 years. Jesus. And Ottawa's pick. I know you come in with that that playoff moment, especially I love those guys from college who make their de- debuts in the playoffs it's and just cool. kind of slide in there. It's, it's always more impressive for me uh, coming from college because we've always 
you know, but now the I guess the consensus is guys coming out of the A or the O or whatever might, you know, have a better opportunity at making an impact. But uh, man, Kel McCarr looks phenomenal. I know the reviews on him; people were really high on him for sure. But jumped right into a, a top four role in the playoffs and and played fantastic uh, alongside I think uh, Gerard, right? Who they acquired yep, in the yep. Duchesne deal, which is a great acquire too. Yeah, absolutely. They got him out of Nashville. Um, but yeah, McCarr is really, really impressive out there. Like he's the prototypical modern day defenseman, puck moving, can skate well, heads up vision, all that. But I mean, like, bro, let me give it to you straight here. Like, you've got Nathan McKinnon locked up at six point three. Yeah, six point. That's got to be the best contract. In okay, the so league. you got Nathan McKinnon locked up. You got Landeskog is locked up. You got Soderberg is next. I'm just talking about next year, even though these guys are more. But just, just for next year, you got McKinnon. Landeskog, Soderberg, Matt Calvert, Matt Nieto, Andrew Ghetto, Kerfoot, Comfer, Rantanen. Now they have to make a qualifying offer to Rantanen, so that's an interesting one. However, let's breeze over that. That's going to be a big contract. Yeah, it's going to be a big contract. You got all your D intact still. And uh, okay, Varlamov is a UFA, but who cares? You got a fucking group R. That's right. Like, they are in great shape, man. You throw Makar into that lineup, obviously, uh, on an entry level deal. Uh, through the next two seasons, plus the pick that they pick uh, uh, that they pick up this year from the Senators uh, in round one. I'm not assuming that he's going to be NHL ready, but man, he could be wh- whomever he is. Like, is there any reason to doubt that the Avalanche can't repeat uh, what what we just saw this year and maybe get over that hump and make a conference final, make a Stanley Cup final? They're definitely in good hands now because I. You know, you would have argued a few years ago that they were up and coming as well, but it seems that Joe Sack has got it figured out. They've done a good job of in- injecting a lot of skilled youth on this team and a lot of speed. And uh, I mean, their trajectory has got to be got to be up because these players are only getting one year older, one year better. And it seems that uh, Jared Bednar is doing a fantastic job. Fantastic, there. yeah. Uh, it seems that the, uh, the players really like him, and uh, you know, they've we've seen a lot of. Uh, growth out of that team for sure and they've made a lot of smart moves and obviously in you know just absolutely killing it with that Duchesne trade doesn't hurt either yeah that was an interesting one too on Duchesne did you hear the uh, latest that he would definitely be open to returning to Columbus but but uh, July 1st is is a real thing so we're gonna wait till July 1st and then circle back yeah no. because why sign for eight dollars when you can sign later for ten million (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course add a couple commas in there yeah so carolina there uh one of my favorite stories out of that was most definitely uh the mac coming in and shutting uh down the series there helping them close that out against the isles like that doesn't bring any bitterness to you at all no not at all man me too i'm I'm at peace with that decision i know people like to circle back on it but it was the right decision at At the the time time, and you know what can't be more happy for a guy like that. Like who? Who wouldn't? It's an incredible story. Uh, at 35 years old, he was the oldest goaltender to make his first ever NHL playoff start, and then obviously collect his first playoff win at such an age. Like that's very impressive. Very in impressive. 2019 to do and, that. And I, we even talked about this going into this season that that the weirdest thing about McElhaney and why the it's like how sustainable is his play over the last few seasons is that he's playing his best hockey in his mid thirties, which you never see. It's just, just not how, how the 
trajectory of fucking hockey players works. He's like Tim Thomas 2.0. Kind of, Except yeah. Tim Thomas never actually played in the NHL. <laughs> yeah, and they're getting... So they're getting solid goaltending from both those guys, and they're going to need it if they're going to be successful against the Bruins. My biggest concern, I think, for them against the Bruins is that they're going to have a very difficult time ma- uh, matching up against the Bergeron line. Uh, they have the defensive corps to do it, for sure. They have one of the better... Uh, and deeper defense cores in the league, and they're going to need those goalies to stand on their head. But I just really like to see them beat Boston, to be honest, because I I'd love this is such a Don Cherry series. He's going to be right balls deep into this one. Oh, absolutely, because so, he loves the bees, and he absolutely hates, hates the, the Hurricanes. So, but any Boston fan or member of the media is kind of in that same boat, aren't they? Like every time you tune into. Like a, I'm not saying I tune into Boston radio, but I want to play a clip for you, Lesko. It's a, it's one minute long, and I'll just tee it up briefly. It was a, it's a Boston radio show, and I guess they can swear on it because they were swearing on it. So I thought that was interesting. But it's like 88.5 or something in Boston. It's an FM station, and it covers the Bruins, and they're like big Bruins fans, as of course they would be. It's a local station. They called the. Carolina Hurricanes beat writer for some, you know, newspaper or company or something. And they had him on the line. They were talking to him on the phone about whatever. And uh, let me tee this up real quick. This is this is how the this is how the one minute phone call. Well, I mean, I guess it was maybe 15 minute phone call, but this is the one minute part that I wanted to show you. Morazic, as Fred said, couldn't start in Detroit and has been an average to above average goaltender and is back up and He's a career 500 goaltender and they're both playing well. Uh, how did this happen? Well, I mean, first of all, they started scoring some goals. Uh, Rod Brendamore said the first 20, 25 games of the season, he thought they played maybe their best hockey. They just couldn't score. But uh, then, the, you know, then the puck started going in a little bit more. And then in January, they traded for Nino Niederreiter. I can't listen to a guy with a, a southern accent talk about hockey. Did you hang up on him? Yep. I thought he was pretty good. Nope. I thought he was all right. Yeah. Nope. I Really? It's Southern accent. I can't take it. It's hockey and Southern accents. You know, there are teams, hockey teams in the South. Many. You got to fly a guy in from Canada. The guy on the other end now is thinking that the connection got broken. He's now calling back. No, what do you want Dan to tell him? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, you know, if I don't like something, I don't like something. So the guy hung up on him. On Boston radio because he was sick of listening to his accent. That was incredibly disrespectful and rude. Like, okay, so first of all, some guy from Baston didn't like somebody's fucking accent. Give me a fucking break, right? Like, come on. You guys, borderline speech impediment going on down in Boston, for fuck's sakes. And you're going to give somebody shit about a bit of a southern drawl on him? The guy didn't... Okay, so listen, when I when I saw the and post... It, and it wasn't even that bad. I know. When I saw the post, I was like, man, this guy must be like, you know, I don't even... No, I... Like, <laughs> like you know, coming down here, coming down there. Like, I thought it was going to be really, really bad. And when I say bad, I just mean like... Uh, prominent i thought the the accent was going to be very prominent and maybe difficult to hear and i was okay with if they had to hang up on him because they had to keep asking him to repeat himself or something like that but this was just straight up i'm going to hang up on you mid-sentence while he was giving great responses i actually listened to the majority of the interview let's go and it was fantastic the guy was really good he was spot on 
I mean, he's a journalist for fuck's sakes. He knows what he's doing. Well, clearly, like, and, it sounded like you know, it. No, he talked about... I was they, interested they, in what he had to say. Yeah, they weren't <laughs> scoring goals. Rod Bendemore had some changes that he made, and then all of a sudden the goals started coming in. Then they made a trade for Nino Niederreiter. Fuck you. I can't stand your accent. We're hanging up on you now. That's unreal, man. And the guy actually called back in thinking that the call dropped, and the, the guy behind the control board has to be like, yeah, sorry, sir. Uh... Our piece of shit host Our here piece of shit host dropped, yeah. dropped a call on you, like, fussed you. Our like, racist host is uh, Jesus, man. doesn't want and to be involved. My The other thing I thought is, like, did they, this guy, like, I think it was premeditated. Like, it was a stunt. Like, he set it right up. Like, I, I think that was that was manufactured. Like, he was, he's like, I'm going to do this. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, well, because he was on for 10 or 12 minutes. So... I mean, it might not have been that long. He was on for a while. Like he was, he was, he was on. He was. That was his. Oh, fourth. he'd already been on oh, for God, a while. Oh, yeah, that was okay. his fourth or fifth question. The, that yeah, was his yeah. fourth or fifth question that they asked him. He was really giving it all, giving it his all, and then all of a sudden they fucking hung up on him. See I don't later. know what what they were expecting, but that's so brutal. Like, why would you do that? That's the tweet I saw too. It was like mass, massive disrespect. I like, saw that making the rounds out there. Um, Oh, you did see it, eh? But you didn't. You didn't. You just didn't end up clicking on. it. No, I, I didn't. I didn't click on it. I was actually. hoping you I didn't, didn't hear watch it because I was. I was just busy at the time. I wanted you to hear it. Wrong. No, that was that was cool to actually hear it and so, react to it. But yeah, like that was poor. That's yeah, why people I, don't like Boston. I guess, man, shit like that. No, I know that people don't. Like I think the it Toronto might have been media, but that's just actual like that's actual bullshit. Like Toronto media is just annoying because they're like. <laughs> You know, here's here's the dog collar that Mitch got his dog, you know, and no one cares. <laughs> yeah. But then they, let's say Overdrive calls in Jack Edwards and then they're like, fuck you, Jack. And they hang up on him and then make fun of him for a couple minutes afterwards. Yeah, I don't. That's way worse than reporting on bullshit. That's actually... Like you said, fucking rude. And like, frankly, it's fucking mean. Well, crazy unprofessional as well. And uh, next time you're going scooping around for guests, like, you know. No, thanks. And the thing with journalists is they tend, there's like a brotherhood. They all tend to stick together sort of thing. So yeah. you can see, I can see some people being like, ah, fuck you. I'm not going to your stupid show, you know. Yeah, saw how you treated that guy. Right? Yeah, and I mean the guy's from Carolina. Let's go. Like, you think he's making a million fucking yeah, dollars? Yeah, this guy's covering, covering hockey Carolina in Carolina. Like he's grinding it out in the ultimate minor right. leagues of hockey journalism. But don't get me wrong. The pa- the Panthers are terrible. The Carolina Panthers are terrible. Uh, what's the Pelicans? What's what's the other team that they have there? Oh, I don't know. They have more teams. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fucking uh, oh, the Hornets. Hornets. The Hornets. Are they the Hornets again? Yeah, they're the Hornets again. Okay. They're and they're also terrible. So yeah. like you got. It's the... not NBA Jam. They're not good. <laughs> <laughs> NBA Jam. Yeah. Hornets were the best team in NBA best Jam. Best team, no doubt. Okay. All right. Where are we headed next? I really want to. I know. I, I I want to talk a little bit about uh, the the ticket uh, sales that they've experienced. I guess you were saying they had a bit of a bump. Oh yeah, I was talking to. Uh, you know what was weird? For some, I had deja vu or something, and I thought that we had already talked about this, but I literally talked about this at this kitchen table with my buddy last night. He stopped by. Uh, for a quick visit, we were talking about the surge and he doesn't really like the surge. And I said, okay, man, but here's the thing, like blah, blah, blah. And then we got talking about how it was like the chicken or the egg. So what came first, the wins or the surge? Well, the wins came the same time the this win, year, but the, but in order to do the surge, you had to win, right? True. So they won, then they did the surge, then they won again. So he's kind of saying that the only reason why the surge exists is because the team is good and they're winning, and the surge actually takes away from their respectability of being good. And I was like, that's a pretty good point, man. It is. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it's a pretty decent point because the way I argued back to him, though, 
was, okay, here's the thing though. The surge brought in the fans. The fans bring the excitement and the atmosphere and that works its way through the the fans and to the players. And then the players play better at home and then they win more fucking games and now they're running out of storm surge ideas <laughs> and they have to stop it. So it kind of is chicken or the egg. Uh, where are you where are you at with the whole thing? I personally have always liked it and I think I'll continue to like it if they grace us uh, with another one starting as early as tonight. Oh yeah, I've said on that show obviously. That or sorry, not tonight. Sorry cuz they're on the road. My bad. I love it for sure and and I think I think it it was it was definitely a great idea and it creates some buzz especially in an area where you're not getting a ton of coverage anyway. So this becomes a big story NHL wide. So not only are you get, not getting a lot of coverage in the hockey community, but you're probably not getting a lot of local coverage either. Because on the totem pole of sports, you're way the fuck down there beyond college badminton. Probably. High school. Yeah, high school football is way more popular. <laughs> high school than badminton. You. Yeah, so it's, it's, and you know what? Carolina has always had, not, I shouldn't say always, but have had decent fans probably ever since they started making runs in the early 2000s. It's just the team was shit for 10 years. Like they, they didn't make the playoffs for what, a decade? Irrelevant. Before, before this year? Yeah. And I think it finally, you know, them being successful, but also them creating a buzz helped put the butts in the seats this year. And I think this playoff run is going to make sure there's butts in the seats next year. And we're seeing that reflected in their ticket sales. Uh, I guess their orders for next year, right? Yeah. Uh, as per the uh, Pierre Lebrun report that I was reading, I, I was blown away by this. I had to reread it uh, and, and almost check the source because obviously not. It's Lebrun. He's a great source, but the numbers were crazy. So last year at this time, let's go, they announced that the season ticket renewals were up 500,000. That's going into the season that we just played, of course, which featured the storm search. So now a year later, just recently, a couple days ago, they announced that the revenue for season ticket sales is up 3.6 million. So that's 500,000 last year. Okay, great. At least we're not going down. We're selling more tickets. That's great news. And 500,000 is no joke. Well, how about 3.6 million? That's crazy, dude. Like that is an insane increase and you cannot look any further than the storm surge, I think personally. And that's where that's kind of where the debate with my friend and I began because I said the 3.6 million is is almost exclusively due to the storm surge and he was saying no it's due to winning and then we had the chicken and the egg argument no it's definitely got to be a combination of the two because those fans have always shown up when the team was good and they were good again and but i think that that buzz they create especially early on in the season is definitely getting people's attention or getting that casual fan from however many years ago yeah back back engaged with the team and, and on the bandwagon, so to speak. Even. Dusting off their old Ron Francis jersey. Yeah, dusting off the Rod the Bod jersey or their Jeff O'Neill jersey. Yeah, the yeah. Dog. yeah, busting those out. Maybe you got a Glenn Wesley or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? I mean, the fans, they, they don't just come for the games now. They come for the fucking celebration. Well, the, yeah, I exactly. want them to win and I Man. want to see a surge. Oh, I went to the game last night and they didn't fucking win. So I didn't even get to see the surge. Guess what? I'm going to go again next week. Teams are really like working hard now and putting a lot of effort and like touring other sporting events, trying to perfect 
and improve their in-arena atmospheres. It's been a big focal point of a lot of professional sports teams. The whole and experience. I really noticed when the Leafs revamped theirs, under, uh, and that was part of one of, one of Shani's moves when he first got here, was revamping the experience at the arena. And I noticed a huge difference because um, I had been going to games every year for a span of three years, and I, re- I was there during that transition. And from one year to the next, I noticed an insane change in, in the whole atmosphere and experience. It wasn't that just they were welcome presenting. to the game. Here's the game. Right. It wasn't as formal and kind of as boring as as the ACC was. That's when yeah. they changed the in arena announcer and the music they used and the uh, lighting they used and the graphics like that. And that's when they changed the logo. So it was yep. part of a larger rebranding oh, really huge. for the Leafs at the yeah, time. Yeah. But it was uh, it was really cool to see, and I felt it really got me fired up um, in the in the pregame when the guys were coming out nice. and all that, right? So let's stay within the province then, because I want to ask you a similar question with regards to the Senators and um, their their transformation. We'll get to the intricate details in a moment. We've got a couple of uh, interesting announcements to make with their uh, front office staff and personnel changes, but. As it relates to the uh, atmosphere, the experience of going to a game, do you feel that the Senators are in a similar position now where a rebranding of sorts may be necessary? And the reason why I ask this to give you a further fuel to your fire for your answer, they were trying to move downtown, okay? And downtown didn't work. And when downtown didn't work, they had to realize that all the reasons why they said they had to go downtown, which obviously most notably was the location. But secondly, they started saying things like, you know, the arena that we have is a little outdated. It's built in 1992. You know, it's pretty old. We'd like to get a new upgraded arena for this, that, and the other thing. When that didn't go down or when that fell through, Lesko, now they kind of have to run back to Canada with their tails between their legs and say, all right, what are we going to do? Are we going to put $300 million into this arena? Maybe new fancy seats that are ridiculously comfortable and kind of swivel, you know, like modern 2020 seats. And then you'll go to the game and you'll be like, oh my God, you have to go to a fucking Sens game, man. Check out the seats they have. They're like anti-gravity seats and you're going to have to do something you know? because the on-ice products. But that's what I'm that saying. Good. So they're going to have to make <laughs> But I experience. noticed they were doing that same sort of thing um, last year, last season at the games I was at is that they've, They've tried new things with their in arena experience and trying to to liven things up a little more and and especially if your team's not doing well i mean you gotta find you gotta find every way to engage your fans and <laughs> and I'm glad teams are thinking big like that now and and not uh you know not just focused on one thing or the other but looking at the entire experience they present to the fans but you make a good point about you know rebranding or like a refreshing of the of the team you know some you know a new new take on the logo a new sure. jersey uh, to something you know what i mean to to just make it look like the the, the team has turned over a new leaf but i think the only way that's going to happen is if melnick fades into the woodwork and sits uh sits in the back seat you know because he's made himself the face on this team for better or worse the right? only way he sits in the back seat is if the back seat has a steering wheel and a gas pedal I guess so. Or he's, he's got not. like or like a jerry can some matches back there. <laughs> so where where do you want to start with Ottawa? We'll stay on Ottawa because that, that was kind of my point is that I just, you know, I, I wonder what kind of promotions they're going to spend their money on because instead of spending, let's say, 
a billion dollars on a new development, they're going to have to spend anywhere from, let's say, a hundred million to a few hundred million in things like arena upgrades, promotions, marketing, yeah, advertising. It's going to, you know, he's going to have, have to find money for He's going to have to take, well, no, no, but if they had the funds al- allocated for a new arena, well, then, they, then, they didn't though. They were that's why there was partners and investment groups, and right? Shit, but you can't right? go into that with zero dollars. Is what nobody I'm was going to finance him just on his own. They were going to need some almost other people, business people involved. It's collateral, right? But this guy doesn't. No one allowed him the center's money like he's broke. So. But like, think about when you played uh, NHL Dynasty mode and you had to actually, you know, determine the price of popcorn. And shit like that. And if you didn't pay attention to it, you started losing money on it. And you had to you had to allocate funds to certain areas to have a better in rink experience for your for your fans. And they're gonna have to do that because like you said, the on ice product is not going to be great. So they're going to have to get the fans into the building some other way. Yeah, it's it's, it's like rebuilding the team in more than one way right now, because you're already rebuilding the on ice product, so you might as well re- rebuild everything else at the same time. Well, they're time. rebuilding the front office, aren't they? Well, yeah, so that's that's where kind of where I wanted to go with this is that their uh their C COO, chief operating officer Nicholas Rizowski, Rizkowski. Anyway, he resigned after one season with the team. Uh similar to what uh Tom Anselmi did. Uh he was there for a brief stint as well uh prior and uh, so now that they've done a bunch of front office shuffling, um, the most interesting character that came out of this was this Brian Crombie guy who's their new CFO. Uh, he used to work for BioVail, like the old pharmaceutical company that Melnick made a lot of his bank on. And this guy was uh, was fined by the Ontario Securities Commission for like misrepresenting the company's uh, Finances financials and, and stuff oh in press God. releases and orchestrating financial reports that was misrepresenting the company. And so he got fined like $300,000 and then was banned for eight years from serving as the off, as an officer of a company, so he, public company. So he's like fresh off this ban basically. And now working for and the now, And now is an officer or like a corporate officer with the senators. But, because him and Malik are buddies. He sounds like this guy was the fall guy for this shit. And this is way back in like 09 or something. But an actual... An actual good, I'm not going to say that this guy's not a good member of the front office, but an actual good member of front office with a resume and a rap sheet. Well, the guy's got a huge resume, for sure. No, I'm talking about, where's the prep? The the original guy, Rakowski? Oh, yeah, yeah. Nicholas Rakowski. So that guy who has had a reputation uh, and hasn't almost done jail time, <laughs> he quits after a year and they bring in a new guy that's, like you said, fresh off a fucking hefty fine and some sort of fraudulent bullshit. Like, that's fantastic. Let's get a guy with a history of fraud into the fucking organization. Yeah, like With I an said. owner that has his goddamn picture next to the word fraud in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, you know, hire some PR people. Apparently that's what this guy's like... Uh special specialized in was like communications and PR and stuff like that. So, and he, so he was doing PR for the company or for the Ottawa centers prior to this being promoted to CFO. Okay. So since he's so good at misrepresenting financials, maybe that's why they tapped him. They need someone to inflate (laughs) the figures to find some fucking investors for this team. So honestly, let me ask you, honestly, put the pitchforks away and just answer this as, as honestly and unbiasedly as you possibly can. 
Is there really any reason to believe that this is not 100% Eugene Melnick? And the fact that I got hired, I'm fresh-faced, or maybe I'm experienced, I don't care. I come in and I'm like, man, I'm excited to get this going. Let's get this going. And then 363 days later, I'm like, bro, I'm not coming in Monday. Yeah. Fuck this. Well, it has to be. What else would it be? That's what I'm trying to ask you. Like, is there these guys don't else? take on roles like this with with and their then leave like, them. Yeah, I'm coming for a year. I think my work here is done. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, and, I don't and, think anyone's and, and thinking dude, that when, way. When I remember when Anselmi left, he left with term on his contract. He literally said, "Keep your fucking money. Keep your money. I'm out of here. Keep your money. I'm. And I, he's I'm, gone working for uh, Seattle now, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think that's a, an incredibly exciting opportunity for a guy like him. Get the fuck out of that dumpster fire. Well, the guy's a builder. That's why he's oh there. Oh my god, dude! That dumpster fire tweet. That dumpster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <they're- laughs> oh my god, dude! I almost fucking fell. I was going outside somewhere when I when I read the message and I almost tripped because I was fucking laughing. I was trying to respond to you so quickly. <laughs> Fuck, it was funny. So for those of you that didn't see it, let's go. Had a nice retweet. I mean, like it was. I guess it wasn't a nice thing because it was a fire. I don't think anyone was hurt, eh? No, no was hurt. it was. It was a literal dumpster <laughs> fire on Parliament Hill, and like somebody, some Ottawa journalist, like retweeted it, like saying, like, "Oh, they've gotten this under control." I'm like, oh, Melnick. <laughs> yeah, I love. Well, the response I had to you was, okay, good. They've taken care of the one on Parliament Hill. Now they should go out and take care of the one in Canada. Yeah, head out to Canada after. Because <laughs> I got a dumpster fire on Parliament Hill and a tire fire in Canada, and they're just piling on. Yeah. So uh, one last one on that too, dude. Um, I don't even remember if that was you or me that put this one last one in, in the uh, in the prep, but someone uh, from the Athletic was reporting that the. Uh, the man in charge of the failed LeBreton Flats initiative, uh, which obviously garnered a lot of attention, uh, negative attention when it was shut down. Uh, Jeff Publo or Publau, Jeff Publau is his name, and uh, he's also resigned. So that that could be a situation where like I fucked up, like this was my project, and I and I fucked it up, and now I'm going to just resign. But again, I'm more inclined to believe that he probably had the worst year of his life. He probably had the worst year of his life trying to spearhead uh, a multi-billion dollar development project in the nation's capital. And the guy that he had, you know, standing over his bedside table was Eugene Melnick. Well, you got to figure a lot of these guys spent so much of their time throughout the year putting out fucking fires. You know what I mean? Who wants to who wants to do that? Deal with bullshit nonstop and you're not actually doing constructive, productive work. It makes it really hard when you're, constantly dealing with a you know an overbearing owner and non-stop pr disasters it's so true because you and i can so laugh about it you and i can laugh about it for an hour we can or make so. for a terrible work environment yeah right? like yeah that's what i mean you and i can laugh about it on the podcast or, or talk about it at work next to the water cooler but someone behind the scenes is dealing with that yeah like straight up like you said putting fucking Somebody's fires problem. I, i'd love to actually be doing work right now but instead i have to answer 17 questions from reporters because of my fucking boss yeah absolutely uh i guess some other uh news notes from around the nhl uh, vegas uh brought in kelly mccrennan well i just didn't bring him in basically made him made him from uh assistant gm up to uh the full big guy in the house uh, pretty interesting move there. I wonder if that was the plan all along. I was kind of thinking uh, he seemed to have proved himself in the construction of this team, and then he was highly sought after, apparently by the Oilers, by the um, 
Seattle team. Okay. There were some rumors around well, that. Well, yeah, why wouldn't Seattle want him, especially after seeing what, what he was able to help construct, like you said, with Vegas? And I think that's where people drew the connection. I think you're right about it being the plan all along. We've talked about that even on our side of the uh, of the conference with the, with the Leafs uh, and the whole Babcock and Keefe kind of agreement with Dubas. Like, you know, I think it might be a little bit of a similarity there if that does exist. Fingers crossed that it does for Sheldon. <laughs> Um, but you know, out in Vegas, I feel like it would have been, what did they say? They had like a, they said they had like a five-year plan, right? Right. When they first came in and it was to hopefully contend at some point throughout, maybe towards the end of that fifth year. Now, lo and behold, they fucking almost win it in their first year. So really do you fix what's not broken? Yeah, and well, Vegas is well set up for the next next several years, I would say, uh, with the way that squad is constructed. Uh, you know, they had a they had a good chance to take another deep run this year. Just ran into a really good San Jose team, unfortunately for them. Well, up three one, they really yeah. And it seemed uh, shortly after the McCrimmon news that we got the Edmonton Oilers finally making decision in their GM search, and it wasn't. Uh, an old boy, amazingly enough, uh, an old boy of the Red Wings, uh, Ken Holland, who was GM there for what, like twenty some years, I want to say, twenty two, you know, years. presided over over some tr- phenomenal years for the Red Wings, uh, thirty six years with the team, yeah, and then has has kind of left a bit of a, I wouldn't say a shit storm. They've already started to make some transition there uh, in 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 Detroit. But I thought it was interesting that they brought a guy in Ken Holland to clean up Shirelli's mess while Holland's kind of leaving, you know, a bit of a mess behind himself, whereas Iserman's been brought in to clean up his mess in Detroit. But not really as big of a Shirelli pile, I don't think. No, I don't think so. I think he's definitely got work work cut out for him. Yeah, you're right. But we've said this lots about Edmonton, too. There are plenty of pieces there to work with. I think just a lot of the decisions made by Shirelli in his tenure, uh, a lot of those pieces were already there. And but, it's the pieces he moved out and the pieces he prod in that are yeah. the biggest issues. So you talked about the old boys club. And while you're technically right when it comes to the Oilers, there is a connection to the old boys club there, though, because Kenny Holland was involved with Team Canada, with Bob Nicholson and Kevin Lowe. Ah, yes. And Kevin Lowe. So there's... There's some connections there. uh, Like I said, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that it's not the old boys club. But they're well acquainted. There's uncles there. Yeah, they're well acquainted. Yeah, there's a couple marriage removed uh, relationships there, I think. And it was interesting because I I, I can't remember where I saw this, but I... uh, that there were certain candidates that had turned away the Edmonton job because they were concerned about full autonomy over the team. Oh. But they kind of dispelled that when they introduced uh, Kenny Hall in there. And uh, you would think that a guy of his tenure would you know, want things done a certain way and want to have certain powers if he was going to agree to a job. But who knows? I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I think the thought about bringing in Shirelli back when that happened, that we're going to have a guy who's going to have rain to do things how he pleases now we have no, oh he did we things. have no way of knowing and and you know what they might have thought that was a problem if they let him do things uh too freely but i still think there's a lot of influence from that group yeah inside i don't think the organization whether they're willing to admit it or not i don't think you're bringing in a guy like ken holland to hold his hand man like you're bringing in ken holland to say okay listen we've done a lot of things we haven't done it the right way we're glad to have you, and we'd like you to do what you can to fix it. So what are your top three priorities right now, rapid fire, that you would want 
or you would think if you're Ken Holland? What do you want to take on? Whew. That's an interesting question. I probably want to figure out what the fuck's going on with Jesse Pugliarvi. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily number one, but I think it's pretty high on my list. Um, I guess you kind of you, you have to find someone to uh, what is it play? Uh, we need to find someone to play with McDavid. Yeah. Um, who does he play with right now? I don't even know. He plays with Leon. Sometimes. Because, because, yeah, exactly. It's not even all the time, right? Yeah. I got to so, figure finding a coach but, probably yeah, is first over yeah. business. And yeah. they're going to probably wait and see how things uh, play out over the next several months. And I think the next thing they're going to want to do is, is, yeah, like you said, shore up McDavid. A, you, you got to sit down with the guy. You got to meet up with him. You got to get on, get on the same page here. And I think part of shoring up that relationship with McDavid and the organization is finding him somebody to play with. And that's not going to be fucking easy. But it's also, like you said, I think first and foremost is hire the coach. That's the answer. The number yeah, one thing to do is hire and the coach. And that's building a bridge between yourself and McDavid as well. Yes. Because you want to you want to get, make sure he has some input and that he feels he's being listened to in this process. Um, you know, I have no idea what kind of pull he is in the organization right now. But you definitely want to develop that positive relationship early on and build that trust because, you know, if you're going to take anything from some of the, the comments made by McDavid after the season is that he sure didn't seem to have a whole lot of faith in what was going on. No. And a lot of players spoke to that. I mean, what were they doing? Just showing up, putting their gear on and playing. Pretty much. And it sounded fucking miserable. So and sure, you got to figure a couple uh, wins here and there. But overall, it would have been, like you said, a real negative work environment, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, anything that's not playoffs, given the level of talent and 200 point guys on your team, you got to be doing more with that. What is it, 12 out of 13 years they've missed? That sounds about right. It's bad. Yeah. It's really bad. Is there, is, what, are the, what, what kind of names are we hearing as far as the coaches are concerned? I was hearing Dave Tippett. I know they were talking about uh, the Dallas Stars assistant head coach, Todd Nelson. Uh, who is a former Oilers interim coach. So he's an old boy. They could bring him back, couldn't they? Sure. <laughs> but we got Flyers assistant, uh, Chris call up, uh, Ralph, Ralph Kruger, man. Remember when they had him coaching the team oh, for like yes. a cup of coffee? Yeah. He's, he was coaching a, a professional soccer team in Europe. Really? That's yeah. what he's doing now? Yeah. Oh, interesting. They, they, I, there was an article in the Athletic recently talking about whether or not he was going to come back to the NHL. Interesting. Very interesting guy. Honestly, dude, I think... Um, like I have right here in the prep, stay away from Sheldon, please. Because to be completely honest with you, would would Sheldon Keefe going into the Edmonton Oilers not be something that they would be excited about, I think, at this point? I don't know if Sheldon would be as excited. Well, that's I don't a difficult. That's You'd a have difficult to be excited to, to decide to go there because as he's made clear, he's pretty happy in his situation right now. So, Did you hear that overdrive interview? I got to figure that... Uh, you know, there'll be interest in him. It's whether or not he's interested in going elsewhere. I know I, I missed the interview, actually. I meant to catch up on that. Man, it was so good. Sheldon's have, really good. They haven't lost a goddamn game yeah, either. Yeah, they lost. Uh, and it's it's a perfect uh, show for really him to be it. on, too, because they're all former players, you know? So yeah. it's it's uh, outside of Hayes. It's, it makes for uh, kind of an easygoing chat for him. He's really good. And um, as I, I mean, obviously, like, I, I, I know Sheldon on a personal level, having, you know, been the broadcast guy for the Kings for all his five years here. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in the office shooting the shit with Sheldon, helping him out doing this and that. The guy's super easygoing and it really comes across also 
when he's on interviews, when he's on TSN, when he's on, uh, he's been on serious, uh, NHL radio before as I'm driving around. And I always have like, as I'm sure most people do, like when you, when you have a friend or an acquaintance or someone that, you know, uh, that's famous when that person comes on the screen or you hear them talking, you kind of have this little warm feeling where you're like, Oh, I know that. I know that person. I know him or I know her, you know, and that happens for me when Sheldon's being talked to by, you know, Darren Drager or the guy on the radio or overdrive on TSN. I'm always kind of like, this is cool. Like I know this guy, like this guy, I know him on a personal level. I know what he's like behind, uh, the camera, but it's really kind of the same person. Lesko. He's very easygoing and sounds very intelligent. And I think uh, a lot of that comes from his close relationship with Kyle Dubas, who, as we both know, Lesko is probably one of the more um, at, astute public speakers that there are in, in the game right now. Well, I would say that uh, the easygoing nature of Sheldon makes him uh, definitely media, translate into being very media savvy and, uh, and likable. And shows. I'll have to catch up on that interview and, and uh, listen to it because I was looking forward to that. Uh, I guess we can fire off uh, a little more, a few Leafs notes to end the show on here. Uh, Wait, I want to hang up on Edmund. I want to hang up on Daryl Cates. I want to make sure we talk about Daryl Cates. Oh, yeah, about Daryl Cates. Oh, yeah, okay. So wasn't that a bit of a... So that was weird, the weirdest thing ever. So I, 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 like, log on to Twitter, and, like, he's just getting lit up. And, like, myself included, like, I, I, I thought he looked like he just got back from Coachella, and he had just done mushrooms for, like, a week straight. He was, like... He was super tanned, and his his salad was everywhere. Oh. He had like fucking Larry of the Three Stooges hair going Man, all over the place. He looked like, Albert and then we Einstein. found out later that day that he was really sick. Yeah, he could die. And people were saying too in the press conference, like some of the things he said was like were very short, and like he didn't he didn't articulate very well. Like okay. he, he didn't speak super clearly. I found and. Uh, it just it was all around weird, and then we found out later he had he's some kind of major sinus disease. Yeah, so it, I felt really bad for making fun of him for one. Well, everyone did. Yeah, and everyone was, and too. everyone was because it was just it, it just seemed really bizarre and just like an unusual unusual thing, right? Like he honestly, and he did, he had been in the woodwork for a while. Like for a guy who was very public for a, a few years, especially when they were going through that arena controversy. Right, he's really laid laid low for quite a while. Well, he apparently he's had the. Apparently he's had the uh, the issue for about a year, and the so it's a life threatening sinus issue. Um, I don't even know how to explain it. I, I I tried to find a few explanations. I couldn't really get one to be honest with you. It's fifty fifty life and death though. So talk about one day you wake up and you're like, man, my sinuses are kind of fucked up. And then like a year later, you're like being told that you're either going to die or not. Well, especially if it fucks with your breathing, man. That that just be awful. So you're dealing with that every second. But I mean, every like day. it's sort of like almost changing the color of his skin. Well, maybe it may, uh, is that what it is? Is, well, is it's that something related to, do with, to it? Is that why do... he looks so dark? Like he looks like an old hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't be making any more jokes. I know the jokes were okay. The jokes were okay beforehand. I don't think they're that great now. I no, made a joke. Not. I made you a joke. Laugh, I made a joke that was too soon because I sent it to my buddies and I was like, "Fucking, you know, I can't believe Daryl Cates almost." is like he could potentially die. And when I first saw it, you know how when you first see a news release, you're like, you think the worst has happened, but it could have happened six months ago. Right. So when I saw the news release, I was like, oh my God. Like, and that's when I texted you. Yeah. You know, he did he almost die? And then I, I messaged some of my other buddies and they were Sens fans. And I was like, you know, fucking, you guys are jealous that this isn't Eugene. Eugene almost died and someone gave him their fucking liver. 
Somebody saved him. Show yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're, we're bordering on bad taste here. <laughs> All right. Moving right along. Uh, all right, yeah, I was going to fly over the Leafs for a couple of notes. Um, so Johnny T, uh, short stint overseas there with Team Canada at the World Championships, uh, has an oblique strain and has returned home. Um, obviously a little bit of freak out, I think, on some people's behalf, but apparently it's nothing major. It doesn't sound like anything major and got a long time to recover, so I'm not too worried about that. What's an oblique? That's so <laughs> funny story. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's... Uh, a thing in your leg and then I, I was like i should look up what an oblique is so that i can be well informed for this podcast and guess what i didn't look up today i didn't look up what oblique was the listen to this what the internal oblique sits under the external oblique oh got it and is the most commonly injured abdominal or core muscle in baseball see i guessed leg because it's the most activated core muscle during hitting and throwing <laughs> however um on serious radio the quick announcement was that he suffered a quad injury oh so whatever he's injured it's may he'll be back still doesn't sound like anything major but he's not playing at the world's that's too bad, man. He doesn't have not have a good time going overseas. Cause well, that I probably think, means they'll win because he doesn't win when he goes over there. Well, I don't know. Last time he went over there, he uh, he fucked up his leg. He broke yeah, his leg or broke whatever. His leg, yeah. So doesn't have very good luck playing in that Canada jersey, unfortunately. Break um, a leg, John. A little bit more concerning now is uh, Travis German having shoulder surgery, and he's going to be out six months. Why the fuck didn't he have it when we were eliminated? Like well, two weeks, you know, three weeks ago, I think. I think especially at, at that age, they're pretty hesitant on the surgeries. Like you usually take your time to figure out whether or not it's required. I guess. Um, you got to think that goes back to that shoulder injury he had because that looked awful when it happened and he was in a lot of pain. And I was surprised that he was even able to make it back. Even though I knew he, they'd probably find a way to get him in there. But I, I was surprised that he made it back into the playoffs and I'm, and this is why the surgery is unsurprising to me. No, and I mean he he'll miss the start of the season. Yeah, which it's, is terrible. It, which is unfortunate. But, but uh, welcome to the lineup, Rasmus. Yeah, perhaps Sandine could get his uh, get a shot there. And you know they did just sign that uh, that defenseman out of uh, Finland, actually. So who wants to try and pronounce this? Twenty uh, three <laughs> old, six foot, one ninety one, left handed D man, Timu Kivalhalm. That's an interesting one. K-I-V-I-H-A-L-M-E. Kiviham. Kiviham. Yeah. Well, we'll find out. Hopefully we'll find out because hopefully they'll be saying his name a lot on the fucking broadcast soon. Maybe it'll be interesting to see. So he was pretty uh, highly touted as a a very uh, much sought after defensive Defensive prospect. Out yeah, but so of, is uh, everyone Finland. that the Leafs sign. No, I, I know. So I is know Gustafson. That I, well, yeah, and that's again that has not little to do with the Leafs and just more. I'm saying about league wide interest. Yeah. Uh, in a certain player, so apparently he was uh, one of the better defensemen in SM Liga. I believe he came from this season. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that guy can you know challenge for a spot. I figure off the top it'd be him and Rosen maybe battling it out. Uh, for that uh, third pairing spot, or even being the extra extra scratch there on the defense, you know, he's born in Minnesota. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. He is dual American Finnan. So, I, like, not that I really need to know that much about him, but it would be interesting to know if he 
was born and raised in uh, Minnesota, Savage, yeah, he, Minnesota. He, he played hockey in uh, in uh, America up until he went to the SM Liga. So he actually played two years of NCAA before that, yeah. he went over to play three, three years at uh, Colorado College. Yeah, so so pretty impressive, interesting signing. We'll see if that guy can make a dent on the team. Minus thirty three in his second season. Yeah, that's not good, eh? <laughs> not a very good club, apparently. Um, <laughs> one of the other uh, interesting prospects I thought was that uh, Mikhaev. They signed out of uh, the KHL. Killing it with the names, bud. Uh, that one actually, I heard someone pronounce. Oh, okay, I figure correctly. Um, it, I think it was Gordon Miller or something. On the you can radio. sound this one out too. There's certain guys you can count on as well to like pronounce things Get it properly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're like there's certain uh, commentators who are good authorities. Like they they make a point of learning the proper pronunciations. Yeah. Uh, prior to games, but anyway, so uh, this was another highly sought after uh, signing out of the KHL. Apparently. Um, they said all but one NHL team had expressed some interest, and I don't even know how they figured that out. Um, one of the more interesting storylines that came out of this, though, was Bob McKenzie mentioning that Mike Babcock had a big role in the courting process, and uh, apparently it was via Pavel Datsuk. Now, do you buy this? Do you buy that that Pavel Datsuk was like, yeah, you'll love, you'll love Babcock? No, I don't. So who manufactured that storyline then? Where would that come from? Especially well, with a guy like McKenzie reporting it, you know? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know what, though? It's probably a situation where, okay, you had you had Babcock all hands on deck based on information that he was given and maybe based on some conversations that he had about this player with Pavel Datsuk. So you see what I'm getting at? It's just a spider web with different connections all leading to the same to the same spot. Yeah, so I, guess I talked to this guy. Then well, I he's talked definitely to a sport where there's uh, you know probably less than six degrees separation between. All yeah, the guys, there's runoff. So. I think there's runoff. So that's what it would be. It would be you know well listen I was talking to Pav and Pav says you're a real good pro and then the guy says yeah I was actually talking to Pav as well and and, and he said that he played with or he played for you. You know, that might be where it ends. Right. It might not have been any kind could, of situation. This could have been more overblown than what it what it actually maybe. was. And yeah. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong. I mean, maybe fucking Datsuk just loved Babcock. I mean, really, was there any situation where Pavel Datsuk wouldn't like Mike Babcock? He played Pavel Datsuk accordingly. Yeah, and, they, and, they were, and, and they were very successful together, so there's no reason really why he wouldn't. He played Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg a lot back when they were ripping off cups together. Absolutely. And he doesn't do that with his stars now. I don't know. It's because they're only 19, 21 years old, and they need to fucking learn how to be good pros by sitting on the bench. Well, he's not not the magic man, right? Speaking of which, I make the announcement. What one? The Babcock announcement. Oh, yeah. That's where I was going with the... Uh... I forgot to loop back when you went and started going off on Keith again. So we don't have to talk about coaching drama anymore because uh, Call Dewis did come out and affirm that Mike Babcock will be returning as the coach uh, just to quash all that shit. And I guess they let it fester for a little bit, but, you know, if they're doing their due process, good for them. And, you know, I figured they handle it in a fairly professional manner. Unsurprising news right there. I, I think we, uh, you know, as much as our immediate reaction after the series was a lot of, you know, angered, directed towards the coaching staff. I'm not surprised to see that there's going to be changes. Um, on another note related to that as well, um, there's been lots of inquiries about the Leafs' uh, two assistant coaches, though. And from the sounds of things, um, my guess is that they won't be returning next season. So we might still see some changes to the coaching staff. It just won't be at the head. 
I wonder who who we bring in. I mean, I I, I really I do I do firmly believe that, um, you know, and I don't I don't mean this to sound bad or anything, but I do believe that Babcock runs a pretty tight ship in the sense that he's the captain of the ship, and I'll tell you to swap the fucking poop decks and you'll go do it. Um, I don't know if like the special teams have a whole lot of running room. I don't know if they're carte blanche with 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 Babcock, and I don't think that's the case with any head coach. I know every head coach has their fingerprints on everything. They're the head coach. But I don't know. Who, who, who do you think is going to want to come in and be like, yeah, I'll revitalize your power play. But then all of a sudden they learn that the only play we're allowed to do is swing it back. I think division of back. labor also varies from team to team and situation to situation. I think that's something that's kind of established in the early going and probably even a little bit in the interview process. Like, here's what we want you to do. Yeah. Here's, here's some aspects of the coaching or what and what – what do you want to bring to the team? Well, I was going to ask what, you that. Maybe, what do you want to do? Yeah, maybe yeah. they give them the floor and say, "Listen, we'd like." That's definitely part of it for sure because these we guys, have four answers these guys we show want up. These guys show up to these interviews with binders, yeah, right? With yeah. like, here's what I think I can do for this. Here's my plans for that. Here's where I project this, this, and that going. Like, <laughs> then they take all that information. <laughs> yeah, like great ideas there, but we're not going to hire you. Actually, we like this other guy, but. <laughs> Do you speak a little louder? The recorder, yeah. yeah is it? It's not picking you up. <laughs> hey, listen. Speaking of power plays and adjustments, real quick, I wonder if you noticed. You probably didn't, unless you were watching the NBC feed because they pointed it out. Eddie Olchek pointed it out. At one point during a Colorado power play, when they ended up scoring a goal, um, the the player that got the assist, he went away. It looked like he was going to the bench. He left the zone. But then he did a button hook and came back into the zone with speed. And they fed him the puck and he cut right through the fucking middle of the slot with all kinds of speed, ripped a shot, rebound scores. And it was incredible. When they rolled the tape back, it was like, look at this guy. He's standing at the top of the circle. Then out of nowhere, he just skates out of the zone. He skates out of the zone right towards center ice. And then right at the center ice, uh, the neutral zone faceoff, he quickly did a button hook and put the fucking jets on and they smoked him with speed and he came in and assisted in a huge that's goal. crazy too i when thought you it was a really have, cool play when you already have uh established uh presence in the zone for you to do that it's 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 a weird idea and i wonder like who came up with that play because it was clearly uh it wasn't i don't think I, in the moment like i'm gonna do this but yeah i thought it was really unusual because usually when you're established in the zone and you, you know you're outnumbering the guys like you know, you move around, find a lane. Yeah. So it, it's weird. That you're like, no, nah, I'm just going to create a rush chance instead somehow. Well, that was basically it. It was a yeah. mini, it was a mini rush. As soon as he came back into the zone, they, they, they gave him like a six foot pass and he skated into the pass yeah. with a ton of speed. And of course, as you know, the penalty killers are all standing still. Yeah. And it, it probably fucked with the penny, penalty killers as well. Like, you know, add a little bit of confusion to their situations. Like the fuck is this guy doing? And then you got to reposition. <laughs> I thought he was going off. You got to reposition yourself. I mean, a lot of times when you're killing penalties, you're not moving a few feet in every direction. Right? No, of you're course just, not. You're just kind of shifting around staying in the uh, passing lanes. <laughs> then all of a sudden this guy comes at you with speed for fuck's sakes. I thought he was going off for a line change. <laughs> now he's right on top of me. So I thought that yeah. was pretty neat. We want. We need to see some sort of innovation like that, man. We can't. We can't have the same fucking power play going going ahead next year. It was terrible all no, year. No, yeah. There's going to be definitely wholesale changes to that, and be interesting to see. And I wonder if uh, some of these some of these new guys. Uh, I know that Mikhaev's got power play experience. Uh, could be a su- potential second unit guy, and 
Um, from what I heard as well, uh, seems to have a pretty well-rounded game, plays 200 feet of the ice, and with being a, a bigger guy too, um, kind of adds a different dimension that maybe the Leafs are lacking a little bit and that's some size and some grit. Size, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I know one of the criticisms that, that we've mentioned on the show before is kind of a the Leafs having too many of the same type of players. So it's nice to see them try and at least inject a little bit of size. And, uh, you know, if they're going to be a cap team, this is going to be the way going forward for the foreseeable future. So you got to pick those, you got to pick those, uh, those cheap signings out, uh, you know, as much as possible because they're, they're the most low, low risk things you can really do, yeah. you know, less than a million bucks ELC. If it works, it doesn't. If not, yeah, see you later. Cause a well, lot, both these guys they signed have European clauses. So it's basically Leafs or you can go back to Europe. Yeah. Which we'll is let, good. We'll let you go play there. Which is good for both yeah. sides. It and is absolutely. really at the end of the day, dude, like you hit your home runs with your, um, like Panarin's. Well, I'm just going to yeah. say you hit your home runs with good contracts to superstar players. True. Yeah. But then you can hit grand fucking slams with low risk, high reward options. Yeah. And that's and exactly the good what teams these, hit these some grand overseas slams. signings are. Absolutely. Yeah. The, well, the, the cup winning team often has at least one, maybe two grand slams in their lineup. A guy that they ended up paying less than a million dollars to get it mm-hmm. done. A guy like Matt Patrick Maroon, who nearly was not playing in the league anymore and is now the prodigal son of, yeah. <laughs> of, uh, of St. Louis. I find it's really interesting with these, uh, how cheap they get these guys. Cause they, they sign them to entry level contracts. Right. So there's the, um, that savings almost built into it. It's true. Right? And if because you're yeah. not, there's not the bidding war isn't fierce. It's more about selling them on. Hey, you can slot in here. We we see this for you. This is what the organization's like. You're selling them on way more than the money at that point in time. Well, and then you're 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 rubbing your hands together at the fact that hey, if this works out, we have this guy now. Yeah, yeah. At eight hundred and twenty-five thousand for the next three years. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that you get, you know, you get a Zaitsev, you got a guy who can fit in, and then you get a you get a Parlin home. Uh, well, you know, and they managed to even get something for Parlin home, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. even better, right? When even they could have just buried him or just just let him walk, and that's that. Although so. you probably shouldn't give Zaitsev. No, no, that's debatable. <laughs> Absolutely, that contractual. <laughs> Call Uncle Lou about that and tell him what your thoughts are. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. Uncle Lou doesn't give a fuck about anything. No, he doesn't. All right, well, All right, wrap it up. Are we wrapping it up? Sure. All right, so let me let me ask you this question then as we're uh, as we're wrapping it up. Um, how many new bodies on the Toronto Maple Leafs next year? It's really hard to say because I've heard that there are going to be some a lot of changes this summer. That uh, Dubis is. It sounds like he's going to be pretty active. My guess, though, at the end of the day. Barring any trades, okay? This is just in and out of the current players. Okay. I'm going to guess there's going to be, at minimum, three new faces in the lineup next year. I think that's low. Yeah. And I would consider Callie Rosen a new face. Okay. Just saying a guy like that makes it. He's, yeah, yeah. Even though he's played some games with the team. Okay. So, so but you're counting him in that. So, really, you only mean, like, one or two. Well, we're gonna see a, we're going to see a couple. We're going to see at least Trevor Moore for sure. He's going to be a full-time player but he doesn't team count. next year. He doesn't count? I don't okay. think he counts. Yeah. So, okay, we're about the same then because I'm not really counting Trevor Moore. I was going to say about four or five. I don't see drastic changes, like I said, barring trades, though, because yeah, that okay. can really shake things yeah, up. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And we know that, you know, the, the story came out that they were very close to making a, a wholesale 
change at the trade deadline that they were in on I a big D man and the deal fell apart for whatever reason. So we know that that Dumas isn't afraid to uh, to look down that avenue. The big D. Yeah. All right, well, that's it for episode 33. Josh Coleman, Adam Lesko, we'll see what kind of turnover the Leafs are looking at next year. But we've got a lot of episodes between now and then. And we thank you for joining us for every edition of the Pucks and Deep podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at PuckPod, at Coleman42, and at Lesko Adam. Until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.